Well, good morning, everyone. That was really great. <coughs> Praise the Lord. So, listening to God's word is like worship because God breathed his word. And just as you just lean back into his heart to worship, actually when you read his word, sometimes you've just got to lean back into it. And sometimes, if you don't know me, by all means check every reference and everything I'm going to say. But if you do know me, just my encouragement is just to lean, lean back into this. All right, we've got our little grandson staying and it's just so lovely to be kind of embracing him in your arms. And, and just as in worship, God embraces you. Also, when you listen to his word, he can embrace you. Yeah. So, we're going to look at Actually, we're going to look at two verses, but we're actually going to look at the whole of Philippians. So we've been studying the book of Philippians, and we've been doing it kind of section by section. Um, but there just came a little window of opportunity, which I just stepped into, so that we could just think about, kind of reflect on the whole kind of book, the whole kind of message of, of this man, Paul. Uh, so... This is a very personal letter. We know it was initiated because the Philippian church sent him a gift and it's essentially a thank you letter. But in the thank you letter, he's kind of, really there's two main things he wants them to be aware of. One is the importance of unity. Secondly, just being aware of people coming in and, and kind of stealing their liberty. But all the way through, he's kind of reflecting back to them, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a very personal letter because he actually refers to himself pretty much about a hundred times in four chapters. I, me, my. So you might think, well, Paul's writing a lot about himself. Uh, but when Paul reveals himself and his heart to us, he's kind of revealing what's really going on. I just get the picture. We've heard it so many times. This man you know, was, was, was gained and captured by Christ and, and he gave his life for the ministry and, 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 to, and to serve God. And he's seen the most incredible kind of outworking of that and, and he's in prison. And that might create frustration, it might create lots of things, but it's, it's true, I don't know whether you've thought about it, that what God did with Paul in prison, uh, we're receiving today. Yeah? The four epistles from prison are just so incredible. <laughs> so God does things in situations that you wouldn't thought that he could, but he does. And Paul reveals his heart a lot to us. And I just want to kind of do a little bit of resume, but very much looking at, uh, the, at Paul's heart, if that's possible, and uh, his state of mind in prison and what's going on in him, his inner, his inner and secret life. Now, we all have a kind of outer life, don't we? which is good, but we all kind of have an inner life too. It's, it's, the kind of, it's kind of what we are in the secret place. It's what we are when no one's there. Yeah, and the two, sometimes they match up, sometimes they don't, but that's the work of the Holy Spirit and us working with him that they kind of match up. So we're kind of seeing in these hundred references that Paul makes to himself, we're kind of seeing his inner life. We're seeing his, 
secret life, his motivations. And, and I just want you to remember that he's, he's kind of living with under the shadow of death. Yeah, he doesn't know which way this is going to work out. He says, I'm kind of torn between the two, whether t you know, to live and to be with you, which is, which is useful labor, profitable labor, or to die and go and be with Christ. So he's living that with almost every day. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? Anyway, so Philippians 4, 8 and 9 are, are these incredible words. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But the main bit I'm going to speak about is the, is the last verse there. I've probably never heard a message on this before. But never mind. Whatever you have learnt, received, and seen, whatever you've learnt, received, or heard, or seen in me, put into practice. Whatever you've learnt, seen, received, heard in me, put into practice, and then there's this amazing promise, and the God of peace will be with you. So, Something that Paul is want to reflect back to them that is so important to them that he wants them to put it into practice. That's, that's kind of a challenging word, put it into practice, isn't it? You mean I just can't listen to it and think that's a really great word? No, put it into practice. And the God of peace, what a promise that is, and the God of peace will be with you. And then he says... Join together in following my example, brothers, and just as you have us as a model, just as you have me as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So something really important here, isn't it, about kind of watching some certain folks living like they do? Yeah? Okay. So what is it we're going to learn about Paul's life that we really want to model. We really want to, to get hold of. So I've been reading Philippians again and again and again and again. And I've become, become convinced of the one th this one thing. That Paul is captured and captivated by the person of Jesus Christ. Christ has got hold of him. He has found Christ Christ is, is found in Christ and you could say he was absorbed by him consumed him longing to experience more of him he is learning from him all the time so he's reflecting Christ back to the church and he wants the church to see Christ in him but, but, but more importantly to see Christ it's a bit like the moon and the, and the sun if you like you know the moon reflects the sun and and, and Paul is so much reflecting the Lord Jesus here, but, he, but, he, but the way he's put it into practice is, is, is what he wants us to learn. So when you look at someone long enough, you can become, your life can become intertwined with theirs. You become like them. You're shaped by them. And, and, and Paul, if you like, is, is taken up and consumed with Christ. And I'm just going to try and just illustrate a couple of things. I mean, if you just think... Um, you know, so Paul has found himself. He said, I'm found in Christ. Um, so 
There's the I in Christ. All right? Just a simple illustration. And he says, he says, for me to live is Christ. That, that's his goal, his reason, his motivation. It's, talk about those Welsh rugby fans. Paul is more passionate by far. For to him, living is Christ. He is motivated. His, his goal is to be like Christ. And his pattern of thought is wrapped around Christ all the time. Um, and as he is wrapped in Christ, he points the church to himself, but, but through him to Christ. He's being found in Christ. So I want to just kind of... I want to just kind of illustrate this with a couple of things. Actually, I'm going to use this since I've got it. This is not going to work, so I'll forget that. Yeah, do you want to just stick it on the, the side there? Okay. Sorry, Dave. Thank you so much. So I messed <laughs> that up. All the teachers are laughing at me now, aren't you? So the first thing he, he kind of, he's kind of learned. The first thing I want to talk about that he's learned from Christ is losing to gain. So we've, we've been looking at this amazing chapter in, in, in Philippians chapter 2 that, um, that Tom spoke of. And, and thank you very much. And Paul is looking at the mind of Christ. All right? So he sees, let this mind be in you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Um, this, let this mind be in you. So Christ, who was, in, if you like, in the very nature God, so he is God. Can you see that over there? Probably not. Okay. So Christ, in the very nature of God, didn't equality, think equality with God something to be grasped, but, but he, he made himself nothing. So he stepped down from that equality with God. He, 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 he made that step down. Although he is eternal God, he's fully God, in the counsel and plan of God, he, equality with God is something that he didn't want to grasp, so he stepped down. And when he stepped down, he, he, was, he was found as a man. So he stepped down again. And when he became a man, he, he kind of chose the role of a servant so he stepped down again and when he was became in the appearance the nature of a servant a servant who was fully obedient to his father he became obedient to death even the death of a cross so if you can just see the mind of Christ he just stepped down he just stepped down he just stepped down in, in a way, you could say that, that, that Christ, Christ never laid aside the fact that he was God. I, I hope everyone realizes that. So when he was spat upon, when he was nailed to a cross, when he was ridiculed, that was God being ridiculed. But what he laid aside was, 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 this, was this glory 
the riches, if you like, of, 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 of the eminence of God's being, um, being recognized, being, being known, if you like, being, being exalted. But this was the heart of God. So he humbled himself and became obedient to death. And no one, no one kind of could make God do that. Does everyone realize that? Nobody could make God do that. Jesus chose for the love of the Father and for the love of us to do that. It was the only way in a way that God, if you think of, 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 of us being kind of here in the dirt and in the mud, it was like God muddied his hands muddied his feet, muddied his head and got down among the dirt because unless God came down that would always have a gap that always be a separation between us and God his glory and his holiness would always separate us we could never reach him and he could never reach us so Paul is reflecting this in this beautiful poem so, sorry Dibs, could we just do that again Has everyone got, everyone got that picture? Okay. Thank you very much. That's it. No, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so who is this man, Saul of Tarsus? He's, he's a model Jew. He has the perfect religious ancestry. So what's his, what's his ancestry? Someone could just tell me. Tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews. So he's, he's got the perfect religious upbringing. Circumcised on the eighth day. Upbringing, okay. In terms of performance... What's his performance like? Faultless. In terms of zeal, passion, without equal, he's the best. So Paul is all of those things when it comes to his qualification, as it were. But however big this list is however many things that there could be on it it's like he's, he's got this religious ladder and he's got more rungs on his ladder than, than anybody else but, he's, but there's always going to be a gap at the top that he's never going to be able to get to Christ to find God so Paul realizes this that that, that none of this is going to bring him into, into that place of, of, of being found by Christ. So what he does is he, he says, all these things which were gained to me, I count them but loss, because then none of these are going to commend me to God. I count them but loss that I might gain Christ. Do you see what Paul has done? Do you see what, do you, do you see what he's modeling? He looks at the Savior that's come down 
and he realizes there's, there's absolutely no way that he can climb up. So the only thing he can do is he can count all of this as loss. That I might know him, that I might be found in him, that I might have a righteousness that comes from God that is not based on ancestry, upbringing, performance, or zeal. But it's a righteousness that's God that, that's found in Christ. And he says that I have been found in him. So Paul, if you like, has this incredible identity of in his humanness. But to, to, to have the identity that Christ stepped down to give him, he has to count all of these things but lost that he may gain Christ. And he comes up with these statements that I may be found in him that I may gain Christ, that I might know him. And he says that to know Christ is of surpassing worth, that there's, there's nothing that compares with that. And so he says these incredible words, whatever were gains to me. And you can kind of hear the Savior saying the same thing, whatever was gained to me, that I might gain you, that I might gain Terry or Pete or Debs or Anthony, whatever was gained, whatever was gained, my glory, if I was going to save them and bring them into that same glory, I've got to count all of this, but nothing. It says Jesus made himself nothing. He, he laid aside his reputation. He, he, he took it off, and he stepped down, and he stepped down, and he stepped down, and he stepped down. And Paul, sitting in his prison, you know, he just reflects on this, and there he is in the prison, and he's thinking, he's thinking, all of this stuff that puts me in the, the top notch, all of it doesn't count for anything that I may gain Christ. But what is my identity in that prison? My identity is that I'm found in Christ. I know him. So he chooses to lay aside this reputation. He had an awesome reputation that he might glory in Christ Jesus. So he says, we are the circumcision. We are those that boast in Jesus Christ. So he's got nothing left to boast on now. He's not boasting in any of this, but he's boasting of the fact that he's in Christ, that Christ has found him. And you say, well, how do we respond to this? You, you, what's our action? It, it, it's seeking to be found by him and to be found in him, that, that he is all that we ever wanted or needed. So that's quite a challenging journey, isn't it? That, that it's actually... The Holy Spirit just constantly wanting to kind of enable us to fill our lives, as, as it were, with, with this appreciation of who God is and, and who we are in Him. So, is it also a personal anecdote? So last week, Anna asked me, and I told her I was going to say this. She says, how do you praise God when you feel depressed? Okay, has anyone ever asked themselves that question? Yeah. I have too. So since, you know, since last year and I had that operation, I, I sort of, you know, felt and known a depression that I didn't otherwise know existed. So whether that was trauma or, or what it was. But this is what I said to her. I said, a beautiful picture is beautiful, however you're feeling. The picture doesn't change. Your feelings change, but the beauty of the picture doesn't change. So when you're feeling low, you turn 
you turn to the picture and you look at it. And it's amazing how the light and the beauty of that picture begins to shine on your soul. And that picture is, is Jesus. And, and that's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. It, it doesn't mean I'm constantly happy. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that I am holding who he is first. I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating the fact of him and, and his love and his beauty and his wisdom. And, and there's, there's Paul in prison saying, you know, because Christ has got a hold of him, he's saying rejoice in the Lord always. Celebrate him. You know, consider him. So Paul talks of the surpassing great value of knowing Christ. And he says to the church these words, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and, and the more you know Jesus, the more all of those things just are applicable to him. The nobility of someone who risked recklessly, if you like, his whole reputation to save a wretch like me. That's a very noble act. Whatever is pure, the one that was in the bosom of the Father without spot or, or wrinkle. Wh the whoever is lovely, the one who drew the poor and, and the weak to himself because of, of the beauty of his words. Whoever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So I got a sneaking suspicion he was just t turning them around to Christ the whole time and considering him. So in, in the mornings, one of the things that, that I've challenged myself to do is, is just to sit before, Lord and before the Lord and, and have a, a prayer journal and I tell God how I feel. I write down my feelings. And if they're not good feelings, uh, I write those down. And then I open his word and, and I let him breathe over me. And I consider him and it's, it's an amazing transformation because the breath of God is, 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 is life itself. And then you pray because you pray after, in a sense, the word of God has lifted you up in faith. And so it's, it's finally, brothers, you know, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, think about such things. And, and whatever you've learned and heard and received and need, the God of peace will be with you. So, in our sense, what does this look like? For us, it's, it's laying aside ourselves and it's, it's being found in him. It, it's kind of thinking his thoughts. So, that's, that's losing to gain. But another thing Paul, I believe, just sort of saw as he looked in Christ was this simple word that we speak a lot about, um, love. And love is an, is an action word. So a lot of the time Paul is looking at what Christ is, is what's going on on the cross and, and Paul, analyzing it, he sees that Christ is putting other people's interests before himself. That's a kind of an understatement, isn't it? <laughs> what are you doing this weekend? I'm going to the cross. 
that what, what are you going to do after that? <laughs> he put my interests before his own. That's what love is, isn't it? Love is an action word. A good definition of love is putting someone else's interest before y your own. Love is what you do. There is an emotion in love, but primarily it's a state of mind, a position. So if you look at a natural mother or a parent with a child, there's no kind of weighing up, shall I, shan't I, when, when uh, the child is in need. There's a kind of immediacy of action. Yeah? Because there's a kind of merging of interest between a mother and a child, isn't there? So the, ch the mother puts the child's interests above her own, and those interests become the same. And because of that, children take great comfort from their mothers or their parents, don't they? So, you know, if you notice one of the children here might fall down, and you might go over and try and encourage them and comfort them. You're going to be partly successful, but get them into mother's arms or get them into father's arms. They take great comfort, don't they? Have you noticed that? Yeah. They don't really want, you know, Phoebe falls over. She doesn't really want me. She wants me. Abby. Yeah? Why? Why does Phoebe not want me on Mummy and Daddy? Because she knows that Mummy and Daddy love her. And she, they take comfort from your love. Very simple points, aren't they? So what does Paul say when he's speaking to the, the Philippian church? He says, if there is any comfort from his love, and there's massive comfort to know that God loves you, and the reason that we know that God loves us is because he stepped, he left and stepped down and down and down and down and down. So to take comfort from Christ's love is, is so important. So whoever is loved will always feel safer. If, you're, if you know that you're loved, you will feel safer. And if you know that you're loved, you will do battle, better in the battle than if you don't know that you're loved. If you're going into life's battle and you don't know that you're loved, you're kind of, you're kind of very liable to kind of struggle. But there's so much comfort from his love. And, and seeing Christ's love and the affection that Christ's love has on Paul Paul has the same kind of affection because it's kind of working in him towards the church. And he says this, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So what he's seeing in Christ has, has, kind, of, has kind of worked in him, if that makes sense. He, he says of Paul, his, his fellow worker, I can testify no one else like him will show genuine concern for your welfare. That's kind of love in action. And then he prays for the church. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So he's saying, look, just look at Jesus. Look at the way he kind of manifests love. Look at the comfort that comes from his love. Now, I'm modeling that comfort too because I have the same affection for you as Christ has. Look at Timothy. He has the same affection for you too. Now, I pray that you'll overbound in love one for the other so that we may be strong together. Do you see why Paul says, Whatever you've seen in me, put it into practice. And the th just the third one I'm going to talk about very briefly is death to life. Death to life. So again, it, this is Paul just looking at Jesus, modeling Jesus, 
And he looked at this obedient servant who entrusted himself to God. So Jesus stepped down, stepped down, stepped down, stepped down to the cross. It's as though Jesus did what only Jesus could do. And now in his physical body, he's dead. Which is fairly obvious. So now he is, in one sense, completely dependent upon God to act. Yeah? And because he was obedient to the death of a cross, it says God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name. So there's a linkage between Paul's mind and seeing the life of Christ, between obedience and resurrection. Obedient submission and powerful resurrection kind of work together. This is how God works. So when we submit and obey, that's like dying to ourselves. And, and God acts. Sometimes we want it the other way around. We kind of say, God, give me the resurrection, then I'll give you the, the obedience. But, but God says, no, you, you've got to walk this path. This path is, is dying down to yourself. And from that place of obedience, I'll... Um, I'll bring about the resurrection. So he says to them, dear friends, as you've always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act for his good purpose. So wha what Paul is saying here is, is that um, he's saying that obedience and, and kind of life work together. And this word fear and trembling, is, it means... This is, your, this is your utmost first priority. This is utter seriousness. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you. So the resurrection life follows this kind of life of, of, of obedience. So what is it that God is challenging us to be obedient on? What is he speaking to you even today? Even as I'm speaking, is there a challenge of obedience? And one of the things that God's been speaking to me about is just kind of to slow down and find him. And I'm doing that and I'm finding that I'm meeting with him in a, in a way um, that maybe I haven't done before. And because if God is saying something, we need to be obedient to it because then the resurrection, if you like, comes out of that, that death. So obedience is like death. You're, you're choosing to surrender your will and then you're seeing the resurrection life coming from it. So Paul saw Christ dying down to death in obedience and then he said he saw God raising him to the highest place. And so he's saying this is the pattern for me as well. And this is the pattern for you. I've seen it in Christ uh, and, and I want to share in his death. And he says these incredible words. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. So I know these are kind of quite difficult words to sort of get your head around, but Paul has experienced Christ in the prison like he could not experience him anywhere else. He's realizing in the prison where his liberty has been forfeited that he is sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And he's getting to know him through this in a way that he could never get to know him um, 
on the, man on the mountaintops, as it were. So he's prayed a very scary prayer, hasn't he? That's a scary prayer that I want to know the fellowship in his sufferings. I want to know what Christ <laughs> experienced that, that I may, as it were, as he was raised from the dead, so I may partake in that. And it's true in our lives that in our most testing situations, that is where we know Christ the most. And as we become obedient to, to his will in those situations, that is where we experience the life of Christ the most. That is where he is the most real. He shared completely in our suffering and in a small way we can share in his. So the cross has to be embraced and that's what Paul was doing. You know, we want deliverance. Our first prayer is for deliverance. And Paul could have been delivered from prison just so easily. And in fact he was, wasn't he? First time he went to Philippi. Just through praising God. The prison doors fell off. Did Paul not praise God in prison again? Of course he did. But the full the walls didn't fall off this time because there was a fellowshipping there was a experiencing of, 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 um, of God so we must find him first as it were in the cross and, and, and as Paul said whatever you've seen me do which is pretty much whatever Christ has sort of been working in him so that I know it's a challenging thing but it, this is the heart of it isn't it kind of where Martin started right the way back when we started looking at Philippians, for me to live is Christ. And somehow we're, we're kind of lost in him. We're kind of, and all those incredible worship songs that, that, that we were singing, um, you know, they are true. So I'm just going to just finish with, with just a kind of a prayer, really. I know um, this has been quite reflective. Let's just pray. Lord, we just want to, again, just stand in awe that Jesus would lay aside so much that he might win us, that he might gain us, that he had this incredible, deep, and deliberate purpose that he would win us, that he would gain us, and that we could be found in him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you laid aside your glory. You laid aside your reputation that you became nothing. And when you were made like a man, you, you, you took on the role of a servant. And when you took on the role of a servant, you became obedient as a servant, even to the place of death. And we thank you that God the Father highly exalted you. He <coughs> gave you a name above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. We thank you that life works through, through death. And Lord, as we lay aside things that we are, things that we feel, things that we, we think, we find you we find you in the cross. We find you in the prison. We find you in the depths. We can find you in even in depression, Lord. We can find you in weakness because you came right down to that place. 
right into the mud. And Lord, we pray with Paul that we might even partly just experience the fellowship of, of your suffering, Lord. That we might know the power of your resurrection. We thank you for the example that, that Paul gave us, Lord, of, of, of living for you. Of living for you so completely and so utterly. And Lord, we only kind of partly achieve that from time to time, Lord, but that's our prayer that we might live for Christ, that Christ might be our all and in all, that the church would come back, Lord, to that first love of knowing you, that in all that we do, in all of our kind of things we do together, that you might be the center, Lord, our love for you. So I just thank you for the promise of life that comes through us choosing you and laying aside that which is... Um, that which is dear sometimes, Lord, that we might gain you. Thank you for your faithful love. In Jesus' name.